If you have ever thought about starting your own podcast, you should check out Riverside. Riverside is an online recording studio that lets you record podcasts and video in studio quality from anywhere. And if you click on the affiliated link in the episode description and you buy a subscription, you will also be supporting the podcast. And if you're going to start your own podcast or you just want to continue to listen to great podcasts, you need headphones or speakers. If you click on the Amazon affiliated link, you can get great deals on headphones and speakers. And if you make a purchase, it will also help support the podcast. Both links will be in the episode description if you are interested. Hey, really quickly, I wanted to mention a couple things before I get started on this week's episode. I don't know if you know it or not, but this podcast has merch and has a Patreon. If you want to learn more about the merch and or the Patreon, head on over to this podcast's Twitter. The Twitter for this podcast is at History Shelf Pod. Underneath the bio on this podcast's Twitter page is a link to the History Shelf store. And I have pinned a link to the Patreon for this podcast on Twitter. Alright, now let's get into this week's episode. It is easy to understand how life at court in Tudor England could be romanticized. With all the art, music, dancing, excess wine and food, it isn't hard to see how one could get lost in the glam of it all. But if you look a little closer, if you dig a little deeper past the surface, you will find that life at court in Tudor England was a game of chance. And the worst part about it is, sometimes you didn't even get a choice to decide whether or not you played the game. And in this game of chance, you had to gamble with everything, including your life. Hi, I'm Courtney Jewell, and you are listening to the 10th episode of the first season of History Shelf, a podcast about history that proves that sometimes fact is even more interesting than fiction. For the first season of this podcast, I am talking about something that I find to be very interesting, and that's Tudor history. Now, when I think of Tudor history, the first person that comes to my mind is King Henry VIII. But I'm not talking about him per se. Rather, I'm focusing in on his inner circle and the people he was an asshole to. And as I go along this season, you will find there was a lot of overlap between his inner circle and the people he was an asshole to. And for this week, I am talking about Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury. Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, was born on August 14, 1473 in Somerset, England to the parents George Plantagenet, Duke of Clarence, and Isabel Neville. Her father was a brother to King Edward IV. They came from the house of York. Death was something that surrounded Margaret her whole life. Her mother died when Margaret was just three years old. 
Her father had two servants killed because he believed that they poisoned his wife. But the servants were probably innocent, and her mother probably died of consumption or childbed fever. Her father was executed for treason on February 18, 1478, when he plotted against his brother, King Edward IV. Margaret was four years old and an orphan. Her parents had four children, Anne, Margaret, Edward, and Richard, but Margaret and Edward were the only ones to survive past childhood. King Edward IV died when Margaret was just ten years old. Margaret and her brother Edward were banned from the English throne because of their father's treasonous actions. The events that happened next were long and complicated, and I could honestly dedicate a whole season of this podcast to them. But I will briefly explain to you the events of the War of the Roses. The War of the Roses was when the House of Lancaster which is represented by the Red Rose, fought the House of York, which is represented by the White Rose, for the English throne. Margaret's uncle, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, who came from the House of York, became the King of England after King Edward IV died. He was King Richard III. King Richard III was defeated in 1485 by Henry Tudor, who would become King Henry VII. He came from the House of Lancaster. King Henry VII then married Margaret's cousin, Elizabeth of York. She obviously came from the House of York. She was King Edward IV's daughter and King Richard III's niece. This combined the House of Lancaster and the House of York together and ended the War of the Roses. Margaret and her brother were then cared for by King Henry VII and Elizabeth of York. In November 1487, King Henry VII arranged for Margaret to marry his cousin, Sir Richard Pole. Margaret was 14 years old and Richard was 25. Margaret had five children with Richard. Their children were Henry, Arthur, Reginald, Geoffrey, and Ursula. In 1499, Margaret's brother Edward was executed. He was executed because he had a claim to the English throne. King Henry VII wanted his son Arthur to marry Catherine of Aragon. But Catherine's parents wouldn't send her to England when someone had a claim to the throne. So Edward Plantagenet, along with Perkin Warbeck, who claimed to be the long-lost son of King Edward IV, were both executed. Margaret then became a lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon when Catherine married Prince Arthur. Margaret's husband died around 1504 or 1505. Margaret then had a small estate, five children, and no income. Since she had no income, Margaret gave the church her third son, Reginald Pole. He would go on to become Archbishop of Canterbury, 
and he would go on to grow into a bitter man over his mother, giving him to the church. He resented her. Margaret had to take herself and her four other children and live at Sion Abbey, and she would remain there until 1509. In 1509, King Henry VII died, and his second son took over the English throne. That second son was King Henry VIII. When Henry was crowned king, Margaret returned to favor. Henry took Catherine of Aragon as his wife and queen, and Margaret was once again one of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting. In 1512, an act of Parliament restored Margaret the title of Countess of Salisbury in her own right. With her restored title, she got land that had previously belonged to her brother Edward. She paid 5,000 marks for the land, the equivalent to about 2.1 million pounds today. Margaret became the fifth richest peer in England. Things were going well for the Countess of Salisbury. But things did not stay well. In the court of King Henry VIII, Margaret's life was a roller coaster of her falling in and out of favor. In 1518, she argued with King Henry VIII over land, but in 1520, she was appointed governess to Henry's daughter, Princess Mary, only to be removed the following year. To fully understand Margaret Pohl's life, one must know some things about the lives of her children. Some of Margaret's children had gotten mixed up with the treasonous Edward Stafford, 3rd Duke of Buckingham. The Duke was charged with listening to prophecies of the King's death and intending to kill the King. He was found guilty and was executed. Whether or not he was actually guilty is uncertain. Many believed he was, although Sir Thomas More had his doubts. Edward Stafford had been the patron of Margaret's son Arthur, and her daughter Ursula had married Edward's son Henry. But like I said, Margaret's life was a roller coaster of her falling in and out of favor, and in 1525, Margaret was once again Princess Mary's governess. Margaret grew close to Princess Mary, so you can imagine how she felt when King Henry VIII had his marriage to Catherine of Aragon annulled, married Anne Boleyn, and had Princess Mary declared a bastard. In 1533, when Henry had Mary declared a bastard, Margaret made the bold move to refuse to give up Mary's gold plate and jewels back to Henry. Margaret loved Mary so dearly that when Mary's household was broken up after she was declared a bastard, Margaret asked to stay at her own cost, but it was not allowed. In 1535, Eustace Capuis, the imperial ambassador, suggested to King Henry VIII that Mary be given to Margaret, but Henry refused. He said she was a fool of no experience. As I mentioned earlier, to understand the life of Margaret Pohl, you have to understand her children. 
Reginald Pole, the child that Margaret gave to the church, became a loyal Catholic, so he was not a supporter of the marriage of King Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. Reginald actually pushed other royals of Europe to depose Henry. Margaret was a lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon and a supporter of Princess Mary, but even she wrote to Reginald and said she was disappointed of what he was doing. Margaret was able to return to court after the downfall of Anne Boleyn. Reginald was created a cardinal in 1537, and Pope Paul III put Reginald in charge of the Pilgrimage of Grace. The Pilgrimage of Grace was a revolt against King Henry VIII, declaring himself the head of the church. Reginald continued to speak out against Henry, which, of course, angered Henry. Reginald was doing all of this from the safety of Italy, and so Reginald's family were the ones that had to pay the price for Reginald's words and actions. Margaret's sons, Henry, first Baron Montague, and Geoffrey were arrested along with Margaret herself. On November 14, 1538, a 65-year-old Margaret was taken to the Tower of London. In January 1539, Margaret's son, Geoffrey, was pardoned. But Margaret's son, Henry, was executed on January 9, 1539. Margaret was stripped of all of her lands and titles when she was charged with treason. The arrest of Margaret Henry and Geoffrey Pole was a result of the Exeter Conspiracy. The Exeter Conspiracy took place in 1538 and was an attempt to overthrow King Henry VIII and replace him with his first cousin, Henry Courtney, first Marquess of Exeter. It has now been debated whether or not that there was any real threat to King Henry VIII's crown, or if the threat was highly exaggerated by Thomas Cromwell. But King Henry VIII thought the threat was real, and thought the Pole family was involved. Thomas Cromwell produced evidence against Margaret Pole. It was a tunic bearing five wounds of Christ, this was proof that Margaret supported Roman Catholicism. This evidence wasn't found until six months after her households were searched, and it was most definitely planted by Thomas Cromwell. But it was enough to seal Margaret's fate. In May of 1539, an Act of Attainder, also known as Bill of Attainder, was passed against her. An act of attainder or bill of attainder is when a government declares a person guilty of a crime and passes down punishment, all without a trial. Margaret would have been very familiar with an act of attainder because that was what happened to her father when he was found guilty of treason. By passing an act of attainder on Margaret Pole, the king was able to gain lands from her that he would have otherwise not been able to. Margaret was held in the Tower of London with her grandson Henry, the son of her son Henry. Margaret's execution did not come quick. 
She would spend two and a half years in the Tower of London, waiting. During Margaret's time in the Tower, she was treated better than some of the people I have discussed this season that were sent to the Tower of London. Margaret had servants with her in the Tower, and Queen Catherine Howard even sent her a furred nightgown and furred slippers for her to keep warm. But on an early morning in late May, Margaret's time in the Tower of London had come to an end. At 7 a.m. on May 27, 1541, Margaret was informed that she would be executed. Margaret was confused. Execution was a punishment for traitors. It was a punishment for the guilty. And Margaret was neither. I wish I could tell you that Margaret Pohl's execution was a quick and smooth ordeal, but nothing could be farther from the truth. The more experienced executioner had to go north to Yorkshire because of a rebellion that broke out. In fact, that rebellion may have been the reason that King Henry VIII finally decided that it was time for Margaret Pohl to die. Henry was bound and determined to purge the land of anyone he deemed to be a traitor. Because of the Axeman's inexperience, I will warn you that the execution of Margaret Pohl was a gruesome affair. Some accounts say that Margaret refused to lay her head down on the block, and she kept moving her head so it would be hard for the executioner to cut it off. There were even tall tales that the executioner had to chase Margaret around. While that is untrue, what is true is that the executioner hacked her head and shoulders to bits. There's even an account that it took 11 strikes of an axe to finish the execution of Margaret Pohl. The 11th try finally took her head. While the exact number is not entirely certain, it is certain that it took multiple swings of the axe to rid Margaret Pohl of her head. Margaret's punishment would be harsh even for the guilty, let alone the innocent, which Margaret insisted that she was. It is even possible that Margaret Pohl carved her innocence into the wall of her cell. In the wall of her cell was a poem that was carved into it. And here is the poem. For traitors on the block should die. I am no traitor, no, not I. My faithfulness stands fast and so, towards the block I shall not go, nor make one step as you shall see, Christ in thy mercy, save thou me. To some in Tudor England, they may have seen it as Margaret Pole died a traitor to God and country, despite her insistence to the contrary. Her son, Reginald, the one that caused Margaret's downfall, he said he would, quote, never fear to call himself the son of a martyr, end quote. And for those that are curious of what became of Reginald Pole, he would go on to live out the rest of his life without feeling the pain of the executioner's axe. 
He would even get to return from exile to England when Queen Mary I ascended to the throne. He would end up dying of influenza at the age of 58. And if he were alive today, he truly could call himself the son of a martyr, because that is what Margaret Pohl is seen as today. Pope Leo XIII beratified Margaret on December 29, 1886. There is a church named after her called Church of Our Lady Queen of Peace and Blessed Margaret Pohl in Southbourne, Bournemouth. There are painal paintings of Margaret in English Martyrs Church in Preston, St. Joseph's Church in Salechestire, St. Marie's Church in New Bilton Rugby, and there are stained glass windows of Margaret in Our Lady Lourdes in Harpenden, Hertfordshire, St. Osmond's Church in Salisbury, St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church in Bridgegate Derby, and Our Lady and the English Martyrs Church in Cambridge. And that was the life of Margaret Pohl. Thank you so much for listening to the 10th episode of the first season of History Shelf. There are 15 episodes planned for this season. Next week's episode is going to be about Catherine Howard, King Henry VIII's fifth wife. I hope you come back for that. I wanted to mention a few things before I go. I wanted to remind you that this podcast is on social media. The Twitter for this podcast is at History Shelf Pod. And the Instagram is at History underscore Shelf underscore Pod. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or future themes for this podcast, or if you have any questions or comments about one of the episodes or about the podcast in general, the best way to get a hold of me is to send me a message on either Twitter or Instagram. And please do. I would love to hear from you. I also wanted to mention the merch that I created for this podcast. If you head on over to the History Self store, you can take a look at a range of items that I created that will help support this podcast. On the Twitter for this podcast, underneath the bio is a link to the History Self store. I also wanted to mention the Patreon that I created for this podcast. Please don't feel obligated to give. It's just there if you want to give. But there are some perks that come along with becoming a Patreon. The first tier is $1 a month, and that is called History Student. And with that, I will send you out a thank you tweet. The second tier is called History Fan, and that is $3 a month. And with that, you get the first tier, plus you get to vote in a poll that will help me choose the theme for the next season of this podcast. The third tier is called History Buff. That is $20 a month. With that, you get the first two tiers. Plus, you get a handwritten note mailed to you from me. And the fourth tier is called History Lover. And that is $40 a month. With that, you get the first three tiers. Plus, you get to choose one item from the merch store. But again, don't feel obligated to give. There are some ways that you can help out this podcast for free. One is to continue to listen to this podcast, and that's honestly the best way that you can help support this show. 
Another is if you are listening on a platform that lets you rate this podcast five stars. If you do that, that would help out a great deal. And also, if you share this podcast with your friends and family on social media, that would be very helpful. All right, well, until next time, keep learning, keep loving history, and come back for next week's episode. Bye.